Well, thank you, Steve. Uh, let's start with prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to read your word and to have it so available to us. We know that it's not like that in all the countries of the world where the gospel is being preached, but we do appreciate the freedom that we have to open your word and to read it publicly. So as we do that today, Lord, we, as always, pray your inspiration, your help, that the words not just go into our brain, but also into our hearts. And change us with these words today, Lord. Draw us closer to you. In all things we pray, Jesus Christ's name, amen. amen. Well, let's open our Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew. And chapter 16 is where we'll start. Matthew chapter 16, and we'll begin in verse 21 this morning. It's a conversation that Jesus was having with the disciples, primarily with Peter. Uh, things were changing in Jesus' ministry because now he was focusing a little bit more on his real purpose for coming. Uh, the disciples started to recognize him as the promised Messiah, the one that they had read about for so many centuries in the Old Testament. But now Jesus was revealing to them that he wasn't coming to start a kingdom right now, the kind of kingdom that they had expected, a physical kingdom where Jesus would immediately take over rulership, not only of Israel, but of the whole world. In fact, Jesus started to talk about his death. And of course, this was confusing to the disciples because Jesus was turning out to be not the kind of Messiah that they had expected. But of course, Jesus was randing, uh, working out a more grand purpose here. So in verse 21, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So that's not at all what they had expected. They were ready to join in the celebration of Jesus as the Messiah, taking over the rulership, not only of the kingdom of God, but of the whole earth. So notice in verse 22 what Peter says. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So Peter thought that he was speaking his own mind in objecting to Jesus suffering and dying. But Jesus, who has more insight... <laughs> revealed to Peter that he was not speaking his own mind, he was actually speaking the mind of Satan himself. He was speaking on behalf of Satan. Jesus explained that he had not come to establish the earthly messianic kingdom on earth at that time, like the apostles expected. The disciples were not prepared for this new revelation by Jesus of his true purpose on earth, to suffer and die. So unwittingly, Peter was speaking for Satan. Peter did not have his mind on the ways and the plans and the purpose of God. Don't forget that Satan's goal was to divert Jesus 
from the cross and the plan of salvation because Satan did not want to see that happen. So he used Peter in this sense to try to convince Jesus, no, you don't have to die. We're not going to let you die and we're not going to let you suffer. So a couple of important things to realize from this that Satan is totally opposed to God's plan of salvation. He was opposed when Jesus walked the earth, and he tried to use other people to change God's plan and to make the plan of salvation ineffective. Another thing that I considered when I, I read this was, I wonder how many times we speak our mind you know in certain ways and we think well it's our own thinking but in some ways it can be the thinking or the mind of Satan himself you know sometimes when people are called they hear the gospel and God is in the process of calling them maybe to respond to the gospel to be baptized and you know people always come up with reasons why well you know I don't know if this is for me right now I don't know if I'm really ready to uh, to go ahead and make this commitment and, and to come to church on a regular basis and, and start to change my life. You know, sometimes we think, well, that's just my reasoning or that's just that person's reasoning, where it could be Satan's reasoning. Where just as Satan used Peter in this sense to try to convince, you know, Jesus otherwise, sometimes Satan is trying to convince us not to participate in the plan of salvation, not to respond to the gospel, not to follow God's calling and follow God's lead in our life. Do you ever think of that? That's, that's kind of serious to consider. What many might consider to be human reasoning and human reasons is actually Satan's reasons that he's putting in your mind to try to get you not to participate in God's plan of salvation. Another example of this, of course, is found back in Luke chapter 4. Let's turn back there. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 4. We find in most cases when Satan is involved in tempting and trying to influence people, it has to do with the plan of God, God's plan of salvation. And here is a conversation that Satan had with Jesus himself in this case. This passage has to do with Jesus being tempted, which I think we're all pretty familiar with. But in Luke 4, we read this story, the temptation of Jesus. Jesus had been fasting 40 days, and he kind of came face to face with the devil. And this was a major confrontation during the ministry of Jesus. And Satan goes through these different temptations with Jesus, but I just want to focus on verse 5 through 8. It says here, The devil led him, Jesus, up to a high place and showed him, in an instant, all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to Jesus, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Now, you can kind of see Satan's twisted thinking in this temptation, but what Satan is trying to do is, once again, divert Jesus from the cross. 
he says to Jesus, you know, all that you're attempting to do and planning to do on earth here, you know, I can get it done for you. <laughs> of course, in this case, it seems that Satan was thinking mainly of Jesus' purpose on earth of taking over rulership of all the kingdoms of the earth. Now, that's kind of a, a small part of Jesus' purpose for coming to earth, because Jesus' main purpose in coming to earth, and it seems somehow that Satan didn't really grasp this or see it clearly, his main purpose was dying on the cross to pay the sins, to pay for the sins of the human race. But uh, Satan just kind of takes it to the end result of Jesus eventually taking over rulership of all the kingdoms of the earth. And what Satan is, is saying to Jesus is, you know what, instead of having to work through that process, I'll go ahead and give you what you're after right now, because after all, all the kingdoms of the earth belong to me, which they didn't, but he kind of thought that they did. And he said, you know what I have, Jesus, I can just go ahead and give over to you. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. So what is Satan actually trying to do here? He's trying to divert Jesus from the plan of salvation. Instead of having to suffer and die on the cross, I'll give you what you're after, and I'll give it to you very easily without any suffering and dying. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. Well, point number one, Jesus' main purpose for coming to earth was not to take over the rulership of the kingdoms of the earth. Now, he will eventually, but his main purpose in coming to earth was to pay the penalty for the sins of the human race. So once again, you see that Satan's main involvement in all that he's doing on this earth today, and even going back to the days Jesus Christ walked the earth, is to divert the plan of salvation. He tried to stop Jesus' participation in it, and of course it was essential that he die uh, to pay the penalty for our sins. But even since then, he works at trying to divert people. Now, Jesus' part has already been accomplished, but he tries to divert people, the uncalled, even as, as well as Christians today. He tries to divert them from the gospel. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I gave an example earlier of somebody who's being called by God, and they've heard the gospel, and they're starting to get interested in it, but all of a sudden, in their mind, they come up with all the reasons why they can't do it. They don't feel comfortable maybe changing their lifestyle. You know, when God's word says, well, you know, you're doing this, and you're doing that, and you're doing the other, and God's people don't do that sort of thing. <laughs> and you're eventually going to have to, you know, God's going to help you change those things in your life. Well, people start to, you know, put up a defense saying, well, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Maybe sometime in the future I'll respond to the calling and I'll be baptized, but right now I don't feel quite ready. Is that just human reasoning or is that Satan's reasoning trying to divert you from God's plan of salvation? You know, we need to think about it. And even Christians today, you know, from time to time, maybe some Christians who go to church kind of get the thought in their mind, well, you know, do I really feel comfortable continuing on in this walk? And, and maybe, you know, on Sunday mornings I can spend my time in a more profitable way. Or uh, do I want to go to church this morning? Or, you know, do I really want to read God's Word as I've been told to? Uh, because it takes so much effort. And I really struggle with my reading. And again, is that just human reasoning? Or is that Satan's reasoning 
And do we kind of fall into the trap, like Peter did, of saying words out of our mouth, which are really Satan-inspired words. And it has to do with our participation, our involvement in God's plan of salvation. Understand this. And we talked a little bit about uh, Satan last week. We talked about how we're sealed by God's Holy Spirit and what that means. Understand this, that Satan hates people and he doesn't want them to be saved. That's his main motive for his actions. He hates people and he does not want them to be saved. More precisely, Satan hates God and resorts to what any terrorist would do who had a powerful foe. He goes after his loved ones, his wife, his children. So Satan realizes he can't get at God. So the next choice that he has is to go after God's loved ones. And that's us, the church, each of us as individual Christians. And we talked last week about how we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And that involves a special protection by God against Satan and all of his forces. The devil's hatred of people is kind of an act of transference. It's his bitterness toward God aimed at what God loves most. So in other words, if he can get any of us to not participate in God's plan of salvation for us, that's his main goal. That's what he'll spend most of his effort at. So you know, look at your life, and when it comes to temptation, uh, you know, when it comes to sin, certainly we know our sins are forgiven. And we're struggling against sin, and God is transforming us more into the likeness of Jesus Christ on a day-by-day basis. But we need to be especially aware when we start to get thoughts uh, in our mind or in our heart against God's plan of salvation and our part in it. In other words, to quit the church or to not participate as much as we know we should, or not uh, sacrifice, as Pastor Dave was saying a little while ago when it comes to the offering, to not you know, do as much as, as, as we should, because we just don't feel comfortable with it, or we're tired, or we're this, or we're that. That's where you have to start thinking, wait a minute, is this Satan putting these thoughts in my mind? Satan's main act of hatred is to get people to ignore what God wants in order to advance what they want. And that attitude never involves the cross, and it never involves dying to oneself. So Satan is always trying to get us to take the easy way out, and not to fully participate in God's desires for us. What is God's desire for us? Well, not only to hear the gospel, but to respond to it. To offer our lives up as living sacrifices. That's what the scripture tells us to do. God wants our full participation. But Satan will use his methods to try to get us not to respond to God's desire for us. But to respond to our own desires for ourselves. And what that really means is to respond to God's, uh, Satan's desire for us. To not participate to somehow be diverted from God's plan for us. And you know what? He's working at doing that every day. And we need to be on guard. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
beginning in verse 23. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. He says, Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. So sometimes people just want to argue religion or argue the Bible, and they're not open to hear what you have to say to support your beliefs. They just want to argue. So there comes a time, you know, when talking to certain people, you have to just back off and say, hey, listen, I'm not going to convince you of anything. You're not going to convince me of anything. So let's just uh, end the conversation. Now, there are, are times where a person is truly and sincerely interested and wants to learn. And it doesn't take too long to determine where a person's coming from and whether you're wasting your time or not. But I think that's why he says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. But he goes on to say in verse 24, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel and said he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from, notice, the trap of the devil. The trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So this is what Satan attempts to do. He attempts to trap people into doing his will. While they're thinking that they're doing their own will, they're really not. Just like Peter thought, well, my attitude, Lord, is you're not going to die. And I'm going to do everything in my power to keep you from dying. When Peter said that, he thought he, that was his own will, but it was actually Satan's will. He fell into that trap. Now, sometimes we fall into the same trap. You know, in our thoughts about God, maybe our thoughts about church, we start think, thinking things like, well, I feel like drawing back a little bit. You know, uh, I, I, I don't feel like I, I can give 100% commitment to church and to God. Uh, maybe later I can. They think that that's their own reasoning, but it isn't. It's Satan's reasoning. And what he has done is he has caught them in his trap. Because don't forget, his goal is to divert anybody he can from participating in God's plan of salvation. And that is his main goal. They don't think that they're doing Satan's will, but any lifestyle that gets in the way of hearing and pursuing the gospel falls right into line with Satan's will for you. Amen. So do you get the point that I'm trying to make? We're, we're bothered from time to time with different attitudes and different feelings, especially when it comes toward God and our relationship with Him. And a lot of times, you know, we get this impression or we get this mood, well, you know, I, I think I'm doing too much. I need to pull back a little bit. I'll let some of the other people serve a little bit more and let the, the other people give. And, you know, I've got other ideas for my money and other things, ideas for my time and we think that that's just our reasoning, but it isn't. It's Satan's reasoning for us. And we need to be on guard that we don't fall into that trap. And I think especially when somebody is being called to become a new Christian, they come up with 101 reasons why they're not ready right now to make that commitment. And they don't feel like, 
you know, making changes in their life. And you know what? I might even have to give up some of my friends who always get me into trouble. And I may have to draw back from them, and I don't want to break any friendships that I have. Just think of all the changes I'll need to make on my Facebook page. And my, you know, I don't want to get into all that. That's not human reasoning. That's satanic reasoning. Because Satan's main purpose for you is to divert you from participating in God's plan of salvation for you. That's his main focus of attack today. I mean, Satan is powerful, and I mean, he could have, you know, physical uh, power in your life, and, you know, is his goal to hurt you or to harm you? No, his goal is to separate you from God, and he'll do whatever he can, and it's a trap that any of us can fall into, and it's a trap that new Christians especially can fall into. Satan is going to start to throw all sorts of stumbling blocks in your way to try to trip you up as you seek to draw, draw closer and closer to God. So I asked the question, where is Satan at work today? And the answer is, wherever saving truth, God's gospel, is hated, resisted, distorted, and muted. That's Satan's work. Because that's his goal, that's his focus in the world today. Let's turn to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll begin in verse 9. There's nothing more frustrating than, than knowing somebody, having a friend that maybe you have the chance to share the gospel with or they see your life and they see many things that, that they like in your life and they want their life to be like yours and they see God's blessings for you and they come to you and maybe you get a chance to share a little bit about God with them and they ask you some questions about the Bible and you share the gospel with them and you're seeing them coming along and then all of a sudden they stop. And they've got all these various reasons why they can't really go any farther in relationship with God and they start pulling back it's very frustrating to see that happen and that's like I said that's when Satan is most effective when you see that sort of reality take place it says here in 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9 the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles signs and wonders and in every sort of evil that, notice, deceives those who are perishing. They're being deceived by somebody. Stumbling blocks are being put in their path. They're not coming along into a relationship with God. They're being blocked somehow. In every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. So Satan hates the truth of the gospel. He hates the truth of the cross more than any other truth. And he wants to prevent the gospel from being spread, understood, and believed. And he'll, he'll stop at nothing. So that's where he's at work in the world today. Remember the parable that Jesus taught, uh, Matthew 13, the parable of the sower and the seed? Let's turn there, Matthew chapter 13. Because a part of that uh, parable refers to what we're talking about here. 
what Satan does to people who, in whom the seed of the gospel have been planted. Matthew 13 and beginning in verse 18. Remember he talks about this uh, farmer, verse uh, 3. Farmer went out to sow his seed. He was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still others fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. So hopefully the seed, the gospel, falls on good soil and it can take root in your life and you can grow as a Christian in your relationship with God. But he goes on to explain a portion of that parable, the seed that falls on the path. And notice he says in verse 18, listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, and does not understand it, the evil one, Satan, comes and snatches it away. It snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path that the birds come and, and eat up before it's got a chance to grow. So again, talking about new Christians who hear the gospel, they're excited about it, but that seed has fallen on a path. It can't take root and grow, and birds come along and eat it up. So he compares that to a new Christian where Satan comes along and snatches that gospel away from them. And I don't know over the years how many people I've talked to who had an interest in Christianity, who maybe got themselves a Bible and started to study, and things started to make sense to them, but after a while they put their Bibles on the shelf and they stopped coming to church because other matters in their life took more importance. So what happened was Satan came along and the gospel that had been planted in their life, he came and he snatched it away. And they didn't progress from there. So as soon as someone hears the gospel, Satan snatches it out of their mind. When someone repents and believes, Satan can no longer accuse them of their sins because now their sins are going to be forgiven. So he's going to try to block that process because he is all about accusing people of their sins. He is the accuser of the brethren, it says in Revelation 12, verse 10. So he enjoys accusing us of our sins to God. But when we come under the blood of Jesus Christ, there's no more accusation because our sins have been forgiven and he can't accuse us anymore. So his goal is to block each and every one of us as we progress in God's plan of salvation. And he would rather accuse people of their sins to God than have them come to the point where they believe the gospel, they repent, they're baptized, and there's no longer any curse over their heads. Their sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. And Satan is very frustrated in that because he can no longer accuse them before God. So we have to see his role in these things going on in our lives. Sometimes the feelings that we have as we progress in our relationship with God, he's trying to block that. 
especially new Christians who are coming along. And before they ever have a chance for the gospel to take root in their lives, he comes and snatches it away. That's his goal. You know, there's something about Satan. He is the original rebel. He is the original one who rebelled against God. But yet he enjoys accusing us of our sins. It doesn't seem like he recognizes his sin or his error. And it's not like he is repenting to God and asking to be forgiven. But he, as the original rebel against God, his purpose now is to accuse us. So instead of focusing on his own guilt, he focuses on whatever guilt we may feel. And he just magnifies that, makes us feel like losers, makes us feel like sinners, and just focuses on us to try to get us discouraged from coming before God. You know, have you ever felt that? Like, you know, I've repented for this sin so many times, and here I am committing it again. Is God even going to hear me? Is God going to forgive me this time around because I've repented so many times and I still do it? Where does a thought like that come into your mind? From Satan, the accuser of the brethren. He wants to keep you from going to God again. Whereas God is happy to hear our repentance time after time after time. And we can go with confidence knowing that we're forgiven through God's grace of any sin that we may commit. No matter how many times we've committed it. God's grace and God's forgiveness is endless. So let's understand Satan's methods. See what he tried to do with the Apostle Peter. See what he tried to do with Jesus Christ himself. Whatever way he can divert us from the fulfillment of the plan of God for the salvation of the human race. What's in his heart? I don't know. But sometimes I know when we just look around at others and accuse them of whatever wrong we think that they may have done, we're falling into Satan's way of life, into his mindset. So we need to be careful. Let's turn to one last passage here in Colossians 2. Colossians 2 and verse 13. Colossians 2, beginning in verse 13, it's talking about what Jesus accomplished by his death on the cross. And we see here how it applies to Satan himself and Satan's uh, motives and methods. Colossians 2, verse 13 says this. He's speaking to us as Christians. When you were dead in your sins, and we all were at one time, and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now let's back up here. What he did was he took the law along with our guilt in the law and nailed it to the cross, just doing away with it. He took it away. And once Jesus died on the cross, bringing about the forgiveness of sins for all the human race, 
Uh, we know that it's our responsibility to come to Jesus to claim that gift that he offers us and to have his death on the cross forgive our personal sins. Everybody has to do that. And once he's done that, having disarmed, notice, the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. When Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of, of our sins, it took away Satan's power to accuse us. So all the things that he was involved with, he, and he is a power and an authority because he's a powerful spirit being that God created, they have now lost every leg they have to stand on because their whole bag was accusing the human race of the sins that we've committed and accusing us before God of the wrong things that we've done. But by God's grace and by Jesus' death on the cross, he no longer has any power to do that. It's meaningless. And in, instead, he has been made a public spectacle of by Jesus triumphing over them by the cross. And it kind of harkens back to the days of ancient Rome where a Roman general would go off and conquer uh, lands and conquer peoples and he'd bring back a parade of prisoners. So he'd march back into town and there'd be this long parade of uh, uh, prisoners following him. And they were a public spectacle because all the Romans would laugh at, well, you know, here's these powerful Egyptians or these, these uh, foreign peoples and now look at them. They don't have any weapons left. Uh, they've had all their uh, expensive clothing taken away from them. And they're being marched through town like a bunch of cattle. So what happened to the great Egyptians? They've been, been making a, a public triumph over them. And that's what Jesus has done to Satan and his forces. They're now powerless. All the great power they once wielded, you know, accusing the human race of all the sins that we've committed, they can no longer do that because of Jesus' shed blood on the cross. So by his death on the cross, he disarmed rulers and authorities, satanic ones. When our sins were nailed to the cross, Satan was defeated. His ammunition to accuse us, that is our unforgiven sin, has been removed by God's grace and Jesus' blood. So it says in the book of Romans, who will bring any charge against God's elect? Well, no one, including Satan. So understand Satan's involvement in the world today and potentially in our lives as he attempts to dissuade us. His main goal is to divert us from God's plan of salvation for us. He tried it with Peter. He tried it with Jesus. He tries it with new Christians today and the rest of the world, but he can even also attempt it in our lives. So we need to be on guard. Don't let anything dissuade you or divert you from growing closer and closer to God through Jesus Christ. Our relationship with him is deepening. Our love for him is growing and growing as his love for us is. But be on guard for Satan. And all of the uh, methods that he may try to use. He'll stop at nothing. But we know that we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. God knows who his people are, we read last week. And uh, let's not be dissuaded. And let's not be discouraged by Satan. And let's rest in our Lord Jesus Christ. And his work that he's done for us and continues to do on a daily basis in each and every one of our lives.
Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for stepping in in this one instance and telling Satan to get behind you. Because you saw him at work. You knew what he was trying to accomplish. You knew the confusion, the trap that he was laying for Peter and the rest of the disciples. And the same methods that he uses in the world today. But Lord, help us to be aware and help us to see it and point it out to others when we see Satan trying to get involved in their lives. Lord, your purpose is to bring all mankind to salvation. Satan's purpose is to try to divert all mankind from participating in your plan of salvation. That's the bottom line. So help us to be on guard, to be aware, and to take a stand for you in all ways and in all respects. You're attracting us closer to you on a daily basis. Help us to respond and let nothing divert us, including Satan himself. So Lord, thank you for being such a wonderful God. Thank you for being our God. And thank you for sealing us with the Holy Spirit so that we know and you know that we're your people. We love you desperately, and we just pray your blessing and continued guidance and strength in each of our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.